Coming to you from the city of the weird. Exploring topics from the esoteric and unexplored to dimensions unknown. Shining a light of truth on the darkest corners of our reality. Welcome to the Curious Realm. go hey hello everybody sorry about that muted mic there welcome to tonight's episode chris jordan here coming at you live this week from austin texas hope everybody had a great week i had an exhausting week on site with clients i think i put in almost 100 i think my invoice was 121 hours in the last seven days that's that's an insane amount um working with doctors and tonight we'll be having a doctor on the show my favorite doctor in the world dr john hall is our guest this evening he is the author of guinea pigs technologies of control uh he is also the author of uh satellite weapons a new terrorism uh we will be talking about uh, probably one of the greatest human rights issues out there folks and that is that is experimentation upon the public we were just talking before we took air about the recent article that came out about the uh alabama lawsuit about the botched human experiment and i i call it that i fully say that yes they used this convict as an experiment to find a new method to kill people which is horrible to begin with um Numerous studies show the fact that we spend way too much money on death penalty, that if we quit incarcerating people for minimal crimes, that we could incarcerate somebody indefinitely and not have to end their life. However, with that argument aside, should we be just experimenting with new forms of death as somebody's punishment? Probably not. That's a pretty big human rights violation. And this guy's... uh this guy, what what should have been a pretty pretty quick um, termination to life, suffered for minutes on end to the equivalent of like what you would see in a snuff film or a horror movie where somebody gets a, a plastic bag thrown over their head and it takes like a minute or so for them to die excruciatingly. That's what this guy went through. Um, the The people that we will be talking about tonight have gone through sometimes lifetimes of excruciating torture, lifetimes of excruciating pain and anguish, both mentally and emotionally. We're talking about targeted individuals and the fact that it may well be that there is a swath of the public, not just in the United States, but worldwide, who are sadly the victims of a quite public experimentation of technology. So... Welcome back to the show, Dr. John Hall. How are you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Doing really good. Uh, great back on here. Always uh, great having you on. And on on video for for once. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. I mean, it's nice seeing you. It's been way too. I was kind of upset with the crazy schedule this last week because I actively wanted to hang out with you. I was like, hey, let's get together. Let's record this thing in person. Um. So the fact that we have to do it via via 
Skype kind of hurts me a little bit. Wish we could get could have gotten to hang out, bud. Um, but it, aside from that, there there has been a whole new realm of things that have popped up here in the news recently. Everything from uh, laser ball technology, like laser plasma spheres uh, that are talking, being used on battleships, all kinds of things. Uh, let's start diving into the realm of technology that is used to target people and how that works, Doctor. Well, so it, it all started with MK Ultra, you know, back in the '60s, and it was so successful in controlling people that uh, when they had the you know, church committee hearings and everybody thought it went away. It really just got buried deeper and changed monikers and changed handles. And the research kind of kept on going. And like anything else, as technology improves, the ability to do this improves to the point where now, you know, something that I wrote about 15 years ago and 10 years ago and was basically called crazy for writing. Now uh, we've got Nikki Haley actually on her campaign trail um, talking about neurostrike capability uh, weapons from China uh, and how we should be worried about that. And we'll get into that a little a little deeper here in a minute because that's actually been uh, a topic that I've been – people have been calling me all week uh, asking me about. There's some things going on with China and China uh, that involve some of the targeting technologies. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it one bit. And and that is something that we discuss regularly here with you is the idea that China announced years ago that they had a weapon that was capable of vibrating the human brain, that it was a laser based weapon that was able to put voices in your head uh, and, and able to basically use uh, the equivalent of what would be almost like a focused microwave laser to vibrate the brain inside of your head to the point of white tissue damage. Yeah. And, and like you said, modulate, you know, communications along with that on it. So you're, you know, not only hearing voices, but, you know, with Havana syndrome, they said, well, maybe these people were hearing crickets or something like that. And, you know, none of them that have reached out to me really perceived what they were hearing as, as crickets. But uh, the interesting thing, I guess the, the interesting thing with the whole topic of what's going on in China now is China does seem to be ahead of us technologically in these um, neuro weapons, uh, which is scaring our intelligence services, which kind of may be the, you know, the back door for getting an admission by our government that these weapons exist. Because, you know, for the most part, you know, the New York, even the New York Times initially did a, a a report kind of making fun of me, calling me the Pied Piper of the crazy for dealing with targeted individuals, people that are being experimented on by our government with these weapons to actually kind of side handedly admitting these weapons exist when Havana syndrome hit. And then they kind of stepped back away from Havana syndrome and said, well, you know, maybe there's agreed with the CIA report that maybe there's other reasons for this happening, like stress or anxiety or crickets or organophosphate poisons. But um, now you've got Nikki Haley going out actually saying, yep, that's that's one of them, that we have neurostrike weapons uh, that China has been working on. And she said this on a couple of speeches now. So um, that may be kind of a backhanded blessing targeted individuals that you know maybe there'll be a way our government can blame these weapons on a boogeyman 
but at least come out honestly about their existence. And that's just it, to know that our our government is working on it. Our government has been working on it. We know, I mean, the, the case that we speak about regularly is is the idea of the voice of God weapon that was that was at least to my knowledge first first used and deployed in the Gulf War. I remember the story from high school of the the platoon of soldiers that laid their weapons down and surrendered after hearing the voice of Allah. Yeah. Um, and that S quad silent sound spread spectrum. That's what they, that was an S quad system. They used to do that. That's a true story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's just it. And I mean, we have used and utilized, uh, sound as a weapon so many times i mean i I remember them just using it as a psychic driving weapon um in panama against noriega to to break him down they used it in in uh against david koresh in waco to wear them down just constantly using sound and loud sound and rock and roll all kinds of things just crazy tones anything to drive the the human to a point of basically mental rupture. Well, and interesting, uh, you mentioned David Koresh. If you remember, Newsweek even did a story where the FBI actually got a hold of Smirnoff, one of the creators of Russian creators of voice to skull technology, to try to use his technology to get into the head of David Koresh with Charlton Heston's voice of God to try to convince him to surrender. Yeah. But... They couldn't do it because the Russian technology wasn't compatible with FBI computer systems at the time. But they did meet with him and and, and try to make that happen. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, you know, we we regularly use these kind of things. Um, I will eventually find the article that sprung this conversation uh, for me to reach out to you, which was the one about the new plasma lasers that they're using on ships basically like creating a ball of light that is speaking to uh aircraft personnel things like that you know in in noisy environments um even in places where radios may not work that well so uh, it's it's amazing to see these technologies out there and when you start thinking about I mean even it's like I was explaining to my wife earlier the sad thing about conspiracy theory doctor is that we have people whose job it is to theorize things and conspiracize things and to convict people of things and convict them of conspiracy they're called they're called you know DAs like yeah. that's their job is to take a realm of of narrative and take you down that path of narrative. Um, the fact is there may be some facts inside of that narrative. There may be some things that are speculative facts inside that narrative, but it gets people convicted. Um, and when you start looking at these quote unquote conspiracy theories about, uh, electronic weapons, about things that can control people's minds, I'd love to see that they ain't based in fact. But good Lord, MIT just announced the fact that they reconstructed a Pink Floyd song from people's thoughts. That's like that's a new realm of technology to be able to say, hey, 15 people listen to this song inside of an MRI. We're going to record your brain. Then in a week, come back and we're going to re-record your brain while you think about it and then be able to reassemble what you heard. 
That's pretty remarkable. And it's well, there. We're we're talking about it right now. Like that's actual science. And the same thing's been done with actually having people watch a video and being able to uh, put the pieces together of the the brain uh, signals to actually recreate the video that they watched. And anybody can watch that. You can that was done 20 years ago. You can bring it up on Google where they they put a guy in a, a functional MRI unit that not only did functional MRI, but also decoded the EEG. And then they reconverted back that back into a video picture of him watching a plane land at the airport. Or actually, he was thinking about having watched a plane land at the airport. Uh, and it's, tell you what, it's a little grainy, but it, it's pretty good. And that was not government technology. That was a private university-funded study. Uh, and, you know, that everybody says the government's, you know, probably year at a private sector at least on that so well and even the fact that right now that you know MIT is able to give you suggestions in your dreams you know which which is great you know you may be able to use dreams to help people with trauma all kinds of stuff but they're also claiming right now by communication two-way communication with people inside of the dream state not only some being able to researchers being able to talk to the dreamer, but the beat dreamer being able to respond and follow the instruction given. And, you know, targeted individuals, that's one of the things they complain about a lot is, um, well, yeah. for one, sleep deprivation, but weird dreams. And the other thing they experience are called magnetophosphines. And whenever the brain is actually surrounded by a strong magnetic field, it actually stimulates your optic nerves and your auditory nerves in the brain, your centers. And when I have talked to a lot of TIs on their when they first get exposed to me, I have a series of questions I ask them, and that's one of them. What happens when you close your eyes and you try to go to sleep? And they'll all say the same thing, that it looks like a firework display going off with my eyes shut, and it's hard to sleep because – you know, the tighter you close your eyes, the more that this firework show goes off. And that's from a magnetic field stimulating your visual centers in the brain. Interesting. And, and you know, that can be more loud focused. Bangs. Sometimes they'll hear loud bangs, too. Mm -hmm. Same thing. That's, you know, that it almost sounds like somebody slammed a book hard as you're going to sleep or, or dropped a rock on tile. Yeah. And, the same thing. That's that's magnetic stimulation of your auditory centers. Well, uh, well, and and even the idea of uh, be we have we have had laser listening systems for years where you can bounce it off a solid surface and be able to hear what's going on inside of a room. There is no reason whatsoever why you cannot reverse that process and bounce an infrared laser off of an object and project a voice. Things like that. I mean, this is quite literally some of the technology that they talk about uh, that that may be responsible someday for what is known as Project Bluebeam, where where they will there will be holograms with projected voices, uh, things like that that basically simulate the second coming and activate uh, true believers into uh, a panicked state. Um, but there are holograms that you can touch and feel. There are holograms that can talk uh, and generate sound, all kinds of stuff, doctor. Yep. You know, it's funny, it's funny you mentioned uh, 
getting true believers into a panic state. I, I think most of the true believers that I know, especially with everything that's been going on in society lately, if uh, if Blue Beam was uh, the second coming and invasion, I think most of them probably wouldn't panic, would be ready to go. But Yeah, yeah. No, I would I would have to agree and concur. Um, yeah, I, I would be more worried about the alien invasion part of the blue beam story. You know? Well, and and you know, even even the idea of the weaponization of that and the weaponization of the fear of that, even the weaponization of the fear of a foreign entity doing this. You know, um all of those things lead to a mentality of control. All of those things. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that whenever, uh, targeted individuals contact me or whenever they contact you or even Dr. Robert Duncan, whenever we've had him on, that's, that's the mentality and the cycle that we first convinced them to try to lose is that victim mentality and the idea of being a victim because the more you live in that cortisol driven state of mind, uh, the, the easier target you are. Well, you know, and it's interesting that you brought up the controlling an adversary because that's what I've been having a lot of people call me and ask me about right now at the, mm. towards the ends of two, end of 2023, December of 2023, there was several intelligence analysts that did a report on China's current capability with these types of weapons, neuro weapons, or what they now call neuro strike weapons, which for those that haven't had that term, there is some new terminology being thrown around by our government and our media sources. Now, neuro strike is one of them. And neuro strike technology, they define as technology that's geared to basically attack either military or civilian mind or brains without kinetic energy so meaning that it's, it's some form of the electromagnetic spectrum it, it's not not acoustic and and you know and not a bullet i guess so yeah yeah so that's so that's the, the term so there's a group of analysts that came out with a study and that study was i, I posted it on my guinea pigs page today as a matter of fact and that's uh, enumerating and defining China's you new know, cognitive domain operations um, and trying to figure out how to control it or destroy it. But the problem with that is that we're working on the same cognitive domain operations. So you know, they probably won't get destroyed. But the interesting thing in the report is they go on to mention the types of weapons that the Chinese are developing and that we've already developed because for us, for them to admit that China has it is kind of a self admission that we already have it. And, um, it's interesting that they, he opens up the report saying that, um, that there's a list of weapons that are more worrisome than just the typical microwave weapons being used. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the it, ones that they say that don't exist, the typical yeah, ones yeah. being used, you know, so, the ordinary ones. So the ordinary microwave weapons that I've talked about and written about for 20 years that they told me that no way exist. And even some of the experts said, well, microwave weapons can be used as weapons because they'll impart heat and the heat dam will do more damage before you can have control. Well, that that doesn't happen when modulated and yeah. false. Yeah, yeah. No, that that happens when the when the frequency stays in one 
one frequency range the whole time. If you are keeping it dialed in at 822.211 the whole time, then absolutely you will heat things. But if you make it oscillate within a range of stuff, then it's going to be just like moving the tip of a magnifying glass, you know? You, yeah. You're going to get some mild heating and stuff, but as long as that keeps moving, you're never going to burn the object. Well, you know, and even James Giordano, who, you know, who is one of the experts, you know, on neuroweapons, you know, he's always kind of ridden the fence and not really wanted to say, well, yeah, these targeted individuals are probably being experimented on. You know, he's he's held a couple of press releases where he's gone over some of the technology and it's always, well, if I were going to create a weapon that could do this, it would need to do this, this and this. And maybe we've got the technology, maybe we don't. And I understand why he can't commit because he makes a living off of government funding. So he's got to be careful what he says. But these other analysts that wrote this this report for the DOJ and the DOD, they you know, they, I guess they don't have the same restrictions. So they problem right now that's going on is it's looking like China is going to go after Taiwan. Um, that is a big fear before the Biden administration is done. And one of the things they think they're going to be using is mind control technology to go after Taiwan. And one of the one of the things that they mentioned was in addition to the microwave weapons that they they, they have dispersed a lot of computer brain interface smart around, you know, to basically inundate mind control technology into the into the population in Taiwan. And what they're thinking about doing is bringing in a, a relatively small group of Chinese soldiers that are, are already immune to a certain bacterial or viral pathogen, and then release a small small amounts of the patient pathogen to make some of the Taiwanese people sick. Well, they, it doesn't have to be a pandemic of millions. It just has to be a pandemic of hundreds. And then they can use mind technology to scare the rest of the people into not fighting due to exposing themselves to the pathogen. So, it, I mean, it's true fifth dimension warfare. You know. Well, and that was that was one of the many things that came out in, of course, the coronavirus panel things like that it was it did not come out to great fanfare sadly doctor uh, but i remember us talking about it it was it was a source of the coronavirus panel that had that happened there were all of, i have it recorded all these things that came up like that like i live screen captured them and retained them inside of a hard drive that's in my safe uh <laughs> So, yeah, like I make sure they never go anywhere. But they actively said that, yes, it was known in France whenever they left the funding of the Wuhan lab, because that was originally a multinational project through the U.N. Um, when they left in 2012, 2013, they shot flares in the air and said, hey, U.N., just so you know, we are removing our scientists and our funding because we have discovered that China is attempting to make ethno-specific viruses to target specific ethnicities of people. We want nothing to do with that. So we're gone. But you should really know that's happening. Um, that was an actual thing. That that really, really happened. And uh, it's pretty wild to know that it is not more common knowledge uh even even 
Um, I mean, here it is out of the South China Morning Post. China's top spy agency warns of gene-specific weapons able to target specific ethnicities or race. Um, so, yeah, it's it's wild to know that these very, very specifically targeted weapons, even when you're talking uh, microwave weapons, laser weaponry, things like that, these, these are a specified swath of people, uh, and it seems to be even a specified swath of people that are affected by them in this way. Because not everybody is affected by them in the same way. Yeah, and some people are resistant to it entirely, and that that's probably the only joy uh, in, in knowing about this technology myself, is knowing that some people can resist. You know, So there will always be some element of resistance. Uh, you know, I even had a targeted individual I had long conversations with who knows I'm a gun collector. He goes, why do you even collect guns? I mean, why... You know, why have lower end technology that I mean, the technology that they have to control us and to attack us with electromagnetics far overpowers that. And I said, yeah, but eventually they still have to come for you, you know, and that's where you need a good kinetic weapon. So, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, you know, what's funny as a technician, I always say analog works Um, (laughs) and analog works well uh, in that situation. One thing we did learn in Vietnam is low-end technology done right can defeat high technology all day long. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, even even the 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 recent quote-unquote cyber attack, I still choose to look at it as a extreme X-class solar flare. It's Occam's razor for me right now. Um, I follow, you know me, I follow a lot of a lot of alphabet agency RSS feeds. I haven't seen a whole lot of investigation going on. So, uh, but aside from that, there, there is a whole range of things out there right now that are, are even publicly available. You know, like there's, there's, you can, you can buy a laser listening system and absolutely reverse that process, uh, as opposed to listening to a window, projecting sound into it. You know, um, even even the use of binaural beats, things like that, to cancel some of this technology out. There's there's a ton of technology uh, that is available to the common person that can help them if if they are somebody that's targeted. Well, and I was on another media interview and they were specifically asking about smart cities and smart dust. And I'll tell you. You know, you're right with binaural beats and, and bone conduction headsets. We are able to circumvent, you know, a lot of the targeting that is being um, that are the people that I deal with here in the United States and globally, I guess, that are being targeted. It, it, it does help revert the brain back into a synchronous pattern to where it's it's difficult to target those people. For those who maybe are new to this that don't understand what I'm talking about, when you bombard the brain with two different signals, uh, one hemisphere will entrain that signal. The other hemisphere will entrain the other signal. Those two signals compete for dominance, and they spit out an interference frequency. Yeah. That interference frequency can be received by a receiver, and your EEG can be retrieved or gleaned from that and then heterodyned and, and basically transmitted back into your brain to um, display whatever 
you want symptom you want that person to display, whether it's anxiety or depression or tearfulness or a fast heart rate or or burning pain or you know a lot of this is done by manipulating the brain. Well, with binaural beats, you can get those two hemispheres to basically resynchronize at the same frequency and get rid of the interference frequency. Well, the interference frequency is what they use to target you and to track you. Yeah. So it does help you get away. And a lot of people have actually gotten away from that. And a big kudos to you, Chris, for, um, for kind of making that person specific for a lot of these victims that, uh, that, that I refer to you to Thank get you. those programs. Well, you know, and it's, it's something that, uh, it concerns me when I see somebody who's, Life is so interrupted. So when I don't, I don't care if it's depression. I don't care, uh, what, what causes it. Um, but there, there are a few people that you have sent to me that their case is remarkable and the, the situations going on, even, even the testimonies from their family about how things have changed. Uh, that is so often. The situation with these and, and uh, sadly, you know, um, some of these, at, at least to me, and that that's what brought us together to begin with was the idea that Aaron Alexis, the Navy Yard shooter, was quite possibly one of these individuals um, that was targeted. Uh, there there were quite a few, especially at that time, uh, the the young mother that was shot by Secret Service, the single yeah. mom. Um, she claimed to hear the voice of Obama in her head telling her to do things, all kinds of stuff. So um, there's there's a whole range of folk out there. And I do want to just clarify that yeah. point for, for your listeners is this that what he's saying doesn't mean it, it was Obama or you absolutely know, it, not. And with this technology, they can actually make a person hear any voice they want to i've even had targeted individuals get a hold of me and say you know i'm I'm hearing your voice telling me stuff and and i know that's probably not the case and i'm like no i don't i don't have access to this technology i, I would have been using it on the people that, that victimized my fiance but um, um yeah they can they can use any family member's voice you know dr duncan yeah. has had complaints where he's had uh, targets, you know, say, well, I know it's you, it's your voice that I hear. Well, it's not him or I, I mean, we're the good guys, you know, for, for yeah. anybody, you know, I, I risk a career to actually bring this into the public eye. So absolutely. And, and, you know, that is, that is one of the things, uh, that, uh, no matter the situation, you should always be aware of if it is, if it is a voice unfamiliar to you, and that voice specifically is asking you to do harm to yourself or others. Consider that. Um, take that into heavy consideration. That was that was the case of uh, the poor young man. We talked about him about a year or so ago, doctor, the the guy in Minnesota that was there. Was it Minnesota where that was like big into monster trucking and his whole social media? I think that was Georgia, Georgia. Where, yeah, I mean, his whole social media was about his trucking business, you know, and modifying people's trucks for off-roading and the off-road life and everything else. And then just one day it flipped and it was 180 degrees. And the next thing you know, there is audio of the police talking him down where he's like, it's coming from my phone. 
I can, I can, there, there are voices telling me to do stuff coming from my phone. And the, the policeman's like, Hey, you know, give me your phone. I can show you how to make that stop. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing you hear is horrifyingly enough, the gentleman taking his own life. Um, and, and even, even one here recently, uh, where the, the shooter was all right. It seemed until he went and served his time at the the National Guard facility that he served at regularly. And then suddenly uh, his mental state went off rails. That was that was the shooter up in up in Maine. Well, and a lot of people think that you're going to continue seeing that, that those are what we call controlled assassins mm. in in continued attempts to get. No, the general public to accept some draconian gun control measures like you saw in Australia. Sure. So when the Australians were convinced to turn over all their weapons, that, you know, basically gave the gun control people here, you know, a big hard on, you know, to be able to mm. get it accomplished in the United States as well. Yeah. And, you know, once you give up your weapons, I mean, you could make the argument that, a gun's not going to help you fight a helicopter and a gun's not going to help you fight this technology. But, you know, a gun's going to help you fight people coming to your door and, and a gun is going to help you fight your neighbors if they ever degrade society down to the point financially where you're basically having to, you know, fight people coming for your food and water. So I think there's plenty exactly. of reason to have weapons. Well, well, and, you know, and, and, means to protect yourself you know whether whether it be that ultimate means like that or even you know means to protect yourself daily good good habits good mental habits to help you from becoming such an easy victim for that heterodyning that you're speaking of that uh that state of imbalance and just cortisol injection that that uh that keeps you off balance and makes you a target for this technology. You know, and it, since we've been talking about this, the number of years that we, we have, and I know, you know I met you on a, another media platform when you were working for that platform. Uh, and at that time, you know, if you mentioned you were being targeted by this, I mean, it was your family thought you were crazy. I even had target individuals call me and go, you know what? Everybody says if you're hearing voices, you're nuts. So I guess I'm I guess I'm crazy now. So now what's the next step? What do I do now that I'm crazy? Honest to God, had actual people going like, you gotta go, I'm hearing them, so I'm crazy. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, the, the true crazy people that hear voices don't think there's anything, you know, that they don't they don't question their sanity. Yeah. But um in this day and age. Just about every family member has somebody that's being victimized by this technology, and that's the truth. And uh, and all you have to do is a simple Google search, and you've got Nikki Haley talking about weapons that can actually control your thoughts. You've got CIA analysts that are writing reports for the DOD that are talking about not only microwave weapons, but brain-computer interface um, weapons that can be dispersed like smart dust you know, that are meant to control population or individuals. Uh, a, a simple Google search will, will show you that this isn't far-fetched anymore. I mean, it's the, the people that are voicing these these crimes, most of them probably are being victimized by it. So 
Um, I would encourage anybody that family doesn't believe them, just, you know, have them listen to a couple of our shows, have them read my book or Dr. Duncan's book or, or, or Google some of these, these studies and these reports that are being done by CIA analysts. Yeah. Um, victims of Havana syndrome, Havana syndrome, which is actually targeting. Yeah. And those people are tre- being treated by the government just like targeted individuals in the public. They're being relatively ignored and told that they don't have issues and they're pissed off. So um, Google any of that and you'll see that, you know, this isn't, you know, some fantasy land or some, you know, idea that I cooked up to sell books. This is really happening and it's destroying people. Well, and and we're now getting to the point of like a thousand people, you know, the Havana syndrome numbers. It ain't it ain't like a handful or a couple handfuls of people anymore. You know, it's not like it was when we first started talking about the term uh, so many years ago, doctor. It It is vastly different and well, and the symptoms are the same. Uh, and I'd love to say that targeted individuals haven't been complaining about some of the symptomology for decades, for decades. Well, and one of the victims of the Havana syndrome thing who has been quite outspoken is a long-term, you know, seasoned CIA operative who he knew what the weapon, the technology was he was being attacked with, knew it very well. He's probably used it on other people or knows people who have access to it. Yeah. Um, and they sat him down and told him that it was probably stress. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and, he, and, you know, we just had a listener mention the, mention the recent um, U.S. airman that caught himself on fire in front of the embassy. Yeah. You know, uh, we we are in a time of manic, wild things going on in a time of uh, that we say regularly on the show. It is beyond a boiling point, man. This pot is roiling. You know, it is it is a meniscus away from blowing up like a like a microwave cup of coffee, you know, um, and to to push people over the edge to use technology to be able to do that to use technology to be able to fog people's brains you know um because it doesn't uh when you're talking a weapon when you're talking anything like that doctor you don't necessarily have to kill anybody to a point where they are non-functioning you know for for it to make a difference all you have to do is brain fog a good 5% of people and and at that point, you've you've totally interrupted infrastructure. Well, and that is the the big fear. The the reason I was getting a lot of the calls about China is, you know, their three warfare strategy, um, you know, psychological war, media war, and law war, lawfare using you know the, using the legal system, using the media, and uh, using psychological weapons, what they call neurostrike weapons. Uh, is what the big the big worry is. And, uh, you know, we're heading down a road where we really need unity in this country to be able to fight things. And our government has done its best to keep us fighting each other, you know, that um, we need yeah. to all wake up and realize we really kind of have one enemy, and that's the people that are trying to control us. You know, um Though I, I say it with a private conversation regularly, they will skin you in your sleep if you let them. Yep. Straight up. 
Um, and, and that's the thing is that we have to remember that we are the ones in control, that they are our public servants, that we control the purse strings. Uh, and as, as you say so frequently, as I say so frequently in regards to UFO UAP, you say it in regards to this, it will be a legal means as much as we hate to say it, folks, um, it's going to be a legal means that protects you. That's how protections come about. That's how that's how, you know, uh, victims get recompense and, and be made whole again is is through legal means. So, yes, it will be through the passing of a law, because unfortunately, just so you know, everybody feel free to look it up. There is zero I will say it with my left hand, too. There is zero law that prevents the U.S. government from experimenting on you, your family, your children, or your dog. There, You know what? Actually, there is a law that prevents them from experimenting on your dog. So think about that. Think about that one. They can't experiment on your dog by law, but bah, they could totally throw some kids into a chamber and see what diesel fumes do to them. It's what they did in New York. Well, and, you know, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. And that I brought that up in my first book is that John Glenn, when he was alive, actually tried to pass legislation to make any government funded experimentation, you know, have to get and do informed consent. Just the same way we do if we're going to do an operation or do a medical procedure on you. I can't just drag you into the procedure room and start putting needles in you or a scalpel to you. You know, I have to tell you what the risk and the benefits are and have you sign an informed consent. Well, that's not the case with government experimentation. And uh, and John Glenn tried to pass that legislation, and it failed miserably in the Congress, just like uh, Dennis Kucinich tried to pass the Space Preservation Act where we wouldn't be able to weaponize space with satellites that can do this technology. And the mind control technology coming from satellites was directly referred to in the original Space Preservation Act um, writing and that also wouldn't pass congress so you know we kind of got both sides to thank that i i know we've got people are always saying well maybe we need a third party well we don't we have two and right now both sides are are kind of corrupt so yeah yeah um and and that's just it you know we we have to get them to do their jobs we have to get the uh, thank you to, uh, we need to, you know, maybe we should work on getting Representative Haley on to talk about this because it it, it is the fact of, and I say it all the time, um, propose it to your congressman, have them pass measure on it, you know, have them look into it because if it's something that needs protecting, that's who we have to go to for the protections because until, well, until it's in that document, Doc, um, Back to the states it goes. You know? If you get Haley on board to talk to you, that would be great. Because my gut feeling is she probably knows a little bit more about neuroweaponry and neurostrike weapons and cognitive um, domain operations from her time in the U.N. Because yeah. my gut feeling is that there's a bunch of those smaller countries in the U.N. that are probably terrified of that technology and that we in China and the U.K. and Australia and Canada are all working on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the last, in the last few minutes that we have you, um, what can people do 
if they think that uh, they have a targeted individual in their family, if they think that they are a targeted individual, um, what can they do to seek help? What can they do to begin that process themselves, doctor? Well, for one, I, I will for for family claiming their time. Yes, you know, getting psychological situation may be a good idea. Um, that's going to probably scare your family member a little bit. It's complaining of these technologies, but bad idea to at least get it. I, I certainly don't want to come on your show and deny that mental illness exists because it if somebody purely psychotic or they're maybe having schizophrenic problems, then then you know that can be diagnosed and that can actually be controlled and treated with medication. So you Absolutely. don't deny someone that, um, but. Most of the victims that I deal with psychiatrically are completely normal. Most of this usually starts middle age, late 30s, 40s, and older. And they can pinpoint the date when somebody started following them, they started hearing voices, they started being attacked with some type of directed energy. Um, and if you have a family member that's at, that's happening to or that's happening to you, you know, reach out and, and educate yourself either from me, from Dr. Duncan, from – you know, curious realm. I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention it on your show, but Absolutely. Ground, ground Zero is a, is another one. You know, some We're of the family other, now. You can absolutely drop them on my show. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, some of the other shows that deal with the paranormal yeah. have really stepped away from this topic. They have, because, and I'm not going to mention the name. You, we all know who the big one is, and they have stepped away from this completely. Yeah, you know, thing you're going to hear about on that show. Sasquatch and naturopathic medicine anymore. So, um, but you know, Curious Realm, your show, uh, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis and Ron Patton. Yeah, they're with they're Ron not, Patton. Yeah, they're not afraid to bring this up. And you know, Ron has been a a, a big player in mind control. Yeah, so, the battle against it. Yeah. So, um, you know, reach out to those sources. You know, I've got a Facebook page that's the title of my book, uh, Guinea Pigs, Technologies of Control. Yep. Probably a thousand messages a day. So, I mean, I may not get back to you immediately, but I usually get back to you. So, Well, and, and that's just it. That, that, goes to, that goes to show how many people out there are at least concerned that they may be targeted or that somebody they know may be targeted. The, the mass number of connections that you do get and the mass number of people that I know, I know at least a good two handfuls of people that you've sent my way for help with music, things like that. Um, and if it's something that I can help with, I will, I will always help with it, you know, because if, if we don't do something about it, the problem persists. If we don't let people know it, much like whenever I have Billy Joe Kane with radical empathy coming on and talking about human trafficking prevention, if we do not talk about it, people do not know it's a problem and the problem persists. So we've got to talk about it. We've got to be willing to admit that there's a problem there. We have to be willing to admit that, yes, governments experiment on populists, that private contractors experiment on populists, that these technologies, the more we deny that the technology exists, to be able to put a voice into somebody's head, the more we deny that, the worse the problem gets. So, 
we've we've got to talk about it. I want to thank you for always coming on and talking about it, Doctor, because uh, you, your books, your research have been really tip of the spear when it comes to this topic. Um, and it, sadly, I I see the battle getting worse before it gets better. Even even with your new and upcoming book. You yeah. know, um, and and the rigmarole that they are sending you through for the publication of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that should have been out a year ago. But, yeah, you know, it's been, you know, just one thing after another to on, on censorship with that. But it will eventually come. I'm going to I'm going to see to that hopefully by the end of this year. Well, I hope so as well, because the the first two are absolutely amazing. Let everybody know, of course, other than the Curious Realm store where they can go to get their copy of guinea pigs, technologies of control, where they can go to get their copy of uh, satellite weapons, a new breed of terrorism. Amazon or uh, I think nobles is still doing, but either one of those uh, Amazon sells out, believe it or not, both of those pretty frequently, but uh, if you check back, they'll they usually have them. Uh, there's also a Kindle version. Um, if if you prefer to read on a Kindle or or read an electronic version, I've uh, made sure that that's very affordable. So you know that's a good way to go for it as well. Absolutely. Well, Doctor, once again, thank you so much for your time. As always, it is a pleasure, pleasure having you on. It's more than a pleasure to call you friend in the world, and I know that. Uh, you are out there fighting the good fight for all those that are targeted. So thank you f for everything that you do to put yourself and your career on the line for that. Um, yeah. Thanks for thank having you enough. I know I started with you in the dudes and beer era, but uh, <laughs> taken off. It looks like so. It is. It has been a fantastic transformation, to say the least, Doctor. So, um, and thank you for all of your help, especially with connecting us with our new family, uh, Clyde Lewis, and you know Ground Zero Radio Network, as well as Aftermath Media. So, thank you as always for your time. Take care, and we'll be sharing links, all that kind of good stuff. Thank you, Chris. All right, take care. Bye, bye, Doctor. Man. Always amazing talking with Dr. John Hall. He has such a wealth of information about these technologies and how they work, how how they are used to target people. I will definitely have to reach out to the to the offices of uh, Haley to see if we can get her on to talk about this, because uh, the fact that it is a rallying cry of hers is fantastic for me. And for all of those out there that are targeted, uh, whether election happens or not, it's the fact of getting it out there and letting people know it exists and that it's not just a fantasy world. So when we come back from commercial break, we will be talking with our good friend Ryan Edwards, cryptozoologist, about his new book, uh, Sasquatch, The Prehistory of a Living Legend. We will be discussing... Um, scientific method and how that has failed in this search, uh, how, how we regularly, um, do not look at the actual science involved in cryptozoology and how it is a science. Um, so we will be getting into that and more with our good friend, Ryan Edwards, right after this folks. 
The Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, coffee mugs, and more. Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out of this world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website again is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store. Hello, everybody, and welcome back from that quick commercial break. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors, especially WebWorks Wireless. They are your source for affordable Internet. If you are out in the country, out on a ranch, out in your mobile home traveling the country, if you're a traveling technician like me and just cannot stand that 5 megabit connection that you get with hotel Wi-Fi, stop on by and check them out. WebWorks Wireless is your home for no data limit, no throttling, no credit check, no contract internet. We have been using WebWorks Wireless here on our show as our source for our live streams for our website. And I'm here to tell you across the country, anywhere that I have had cell phone service, I've been able to live stream uninterrupted and uncapped. So stop on by and check them out, folks. WebWorks Wireless is the website that you want to check out, webworkswireless.com. Our guest in this segment is our good friend, author of Cryptids of the World, Ryan Edwards. He has a new book, Sasquatch, The Prehistory of a Living Legend. The foreword of it is written by our good friend of the show, uh, King Gerhart. Welcome back to the show. Ryan Edwards, how are you doing, my friend? Doing good, guys. Always good to be here, and a great, great, great happy Chris, and always love to always love to talk to you. Well, I have been looking very much forward to the release of this book. You told me about it, I guess, at uh, it was the Texas Dogman Conference when you'd found out that David Weatherly was going to be putting out the book through his Eerie Lights Publishing. So much congratulations on that. That that should give Thank you me. a very good long reach. Uh, within this community, man, that is that is fantastic to hear for you. I'm so proud of you for that. No, I appreciate it. I talked to David at the conference. We were literally uh, right in front of each other, and I talked about like, yeah, I'm writing this book, blah blah blah. And he's like, he's like, you know, I have a publishing company, and I'm like, well, would you pick me up? And he's like, he's like, no, he's like, I've I've read your work, I like you, and he picked me up, and I'm very thankful for David for picking me up because. Now I have a publisher that I can go for for my future book, books that are in the works right now. And also, as well as I I really appreciate everyone that helped me get this book out there. The forward by Ken Gerhard, the art done by Jason McLean. Yeah. Like, this book wouldn't be out if it wasn't for all the people I know in this field. Well, you know, and it's been it's been really great to see you with with your entree foray into the industry and into the field. I met you probably it was uh, Mineola, Texas, yep. East Texas Bigfoot Conference. 
um, a couple years ago when I first met you and to, to see you work your booth, especially as, as, uh, the, probably the youngest cryptozoologist in the field, uh, publishing crypto, cryptozoologist anyway. I'm sure that there may be some others out there doing field work or squatching in the evenings, uh, that might have a couple years under you, but to see you work your table. And to see you be able to explain the science behind this, you you are incredibly intelligent. And the one thing that I love about your work is that is is you're very much in the vein of King Gerhardt, where let's look at this from a zoological perspective, you know, and let's let's look at this at the fact of you know about ten thousand critters a year are discovered, and we know we have not nearly scratched the surface of the critters that live across the globe and under the waters of the globe. So to think that Sasquatch is an impossibility in and of itself is a little bit of a fruitless endeavor. Uh, so let's get into the prehistory of Sasquatch and what brought you to write this book specifically, Ryan? Well, of course, because when me personally with this book, this has been honestly probably in the works for years now. It's something I've been wanting to write down for a while because it's research I've been doing for ever since I really started getting into Sasquatch because I look at it from, like what you said, very much a perspective of biology and zoological purposes. And I specialize, and you say specialize, in evolutionary processes, especially primate evolution. And there's always something with evolution, and it's over-specialization. Whenever animals become too large or too specialized, they either adapt or they die off. And that's something I've always had an issue with Sasquatch is, yeah. okay, this creature is nine foot, feet tall. It's large, probably 2,000 pounds. Why is it so big? It's built for an age that is no longer around. It's what we call an evolutionary anachronism. For instance, the North American pronghorn. It's an antelope species that can run up to 40 miles per hour. We have no living predators that can hunt that. Yeah. Unless we look at prehistory, Miraconics, the, Amer the American cheetah, even though it's more closely related to a mountain lion, most likely hunted pronghorn, and they convergently evolved to become fast. Soon enough, the Miraconics did die out, but the pronghorn persisted. So the pronghorn's a prey species built for a predator that no longer exists. So with Sasquatch, I looked at the anatomy and morphology and the behavior and it correlates to prehistory, megafaunal species. Prehistoric North America was full of giant animals. The Colombian mammoth, their short-faced bear, the Smilodon fatalis, all these large animals that would have coexisted alongside a large primate and would have caused a large primate to exist. And then you look at the environment of prehistoric North America, Pliocene and Pleistocene. Most pro most paleontologists would state this uh, Amer North America looked more like the African savanna or the pra prairies than the prairies yeah. of like Yellowstone. And okay, African savanna. Okay, what lives in the African savanna in modern day? Primates. What lived in the African savanna during the Pleistocene? The Pleistocene. Uh, early early human relatives. So we know the environment that existed in North America could possibly persist with primates. So I started looking at possible candidates, things from there, and also just the ecology of North America, like the carrying capacity. Could it 
have persisted a large primate. And sure. honestly, I believe it could have because if we look at the modern day Sasquatch, if we look at the, well, it's all speculative, of course. We don't know exactly what this creature oh, 100%. is. 100%. But if we look at its ecology, its behavior sets, its anatomy, its morphology, it's very, it is a omnivore. It is a highly specialized omnivore. That's right. It specializes, it's highly intelligent. So we've learned, especially with primates, highly high adaptability does correlate with high survivability. That's why humans are so around. Even though we are not the biggest, baddest predator out there. We don't have big, we don't have large teeth. We don't have big claws. We can adapt and we can change. We're one of the only few animals that changes the environment and doesn't change according to the environment. Us and beavers. We don't, we change the environment if we need to survive. So primates are survivable. And any primatologist that is worth their weight in salt will tell you, we probably only know 10 to 16% of the known primate fossil record. Yep. Not to mention that we haven't looked for primate fossils in North America because no one has thought to look here for them. So, what if there is a fossil record, a what we call a ghost lineage, of a unknown primate persisting here in North America that goes back multiple millions of years? Because with cryptozoology and just zoology in general, people look at it in a modern perspective. Every known species on Earth has a modern, has a natural history. They didn't just come out of nowhere. They didn't just evolve from nowhere. They have a natural history of where they originated from. So if you look at Sasquatch the same way, they must have originated from something. So that's when I looked at possible candidates for it, like Paranthropus. I looked at Gigantopithecus yeah. because that's always the old favorite. And then I came upon Dryopithecines. And that's, in my opinion, the most likely candidate for uh, the the modern day Sasquatch. Well, and uh, you know, we had the we had the discussion last time you were on. Uh, literally, the whole conversation was about the morphologies of different Sasquatch sightings across America, and and you know the difference between size, coloration. Uh, possible variation of diet. And the fact is, you know, like we just mentioned with Lyle Blackburn last week, uh, if, a, if, if an area can support a black bear, it would probably be able to support a Sasquatch. Yes. You know, like, as, uh, as far as large, large grazing mammal, you know, yes. uh, that, it, that is an omnivore eating things like fish, smaller mammals, rabbits, you know, things like that. So. Um, and yeah, you know, it is, it is pretty rare. Uh, you mentioning the, the antelope being a remnant species that no longer has, uh, no longer has pred- predation, so to speak. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty rare that nature devolves an animal once it's evolved it and specialized it. Yes. Like once you are specialized, like that's what happened to a lot of megafaunal species. They were just too specialized for the modern day. Like, yeah. Yeah. for instance, I bring up Smilodon fatalis, the, uh, what we call the saber tooth tiger, even though they're not tigers. They were too specialized. They were, they were specializing in large megafaunal species, bison, mammoths, things like that. So once those prey species died out, of course, they would die out, uh, corn, but they would also die out as well. But with a primate, for instance, like Sasquatch, that high adaptability, the high intelligence would allow for them to survive and live alongside into the modern day. 
And like even I reference like for instance North American uh Native American old traditions, how they state that oh the Sasquatch have always been here. So yeah. for me, that kind of indicates this animal was already existing here in North America when when Native Americans and the Paleo Indians first entered North America. So that kind of gives us almost like a speculative timeline of these species. And like with me, I look at not just Pleistocene, but also Pleistocene and Miocene North America. And I say, okay, most likely, most likely, this is a hypothesis, not yeah. not exactly a proven theory, that a large primate, some type of, may possibly dryopithecus, and it could be any type of species, Dunuvius, Oreopithecus, dryopithecus itself, entered North America during the late Miocene, early Pliocene. And if you look at that age, Beringia, the landmass that connected North, North America and Asia, disappeared because of higher higher water levels. Yeah. So what if these primates moved into North America, found themselves stuck here? And remember, you evolve or you go extinct. Yep. So what if they evolved and adapted to become larger, more secretive because of these large predators? Heck, if I was a Bigfoot, if I saw a short-faced bear that's 2,000 pounds and stands as tall as me on two legs or taller – I would want to hide, not fight if I need to. Yeah. Maybe that's why they're so secretive nowadays because they had to, they had to live alongside large predators and especially once, once humans enter the frame. So I believe the behavior sets even uh, correlate to large megafaunal species as well as the morphology and ecology as well. The ecology of Sasquatch also correlate to a more prehistoric, more megafaunal, more archaic idea of what North America looked like. Well, get into that a little bit real quick, Ryan. What do you, what do you mean by the fact of, uh, it, it's much more megafaunal, uh, than, than we would think? Well, for instance, like, uh, bipedalism. We okay. know bipedalism is a very specialized trait, especially in primates. It hasn't evolved that many times. It did, it did evolve, or, uh, independently in the Dryopithecines. Oreopithecus. It had a foot morphology very similar to, like, if you look at uh, Nape, the Nape uh, footprint cast of, like, uh, found up in uh, Desitor, Illinois, that Lauren Coleman discovered. They have a foot with a divergent big toe, uh, big toe, like a, like almost like a modern ape. So we now know, for instance, like, the Duvius, they had a pelvis that represented possible bipedalism. So, okay, bipedalism was in these apes and if you look at the ecology of North America during the Pliocene it was much more open there was not a lot of trees not a lot of uh, coverage and we believe with the human hypothesis well, at least modern day it's called a tree, cal uh, tree climbing hypothesis it used to say that humans evolved to become bipedal because oh trees disappeared grasslands opened up we had to look over the tall grass or we became bipedal now we think we were already bipedal when we entered the grasslands. The tree climbing hypothesis states that we would run along the tops of tops of uh, tree branches and things like that. So we were already bipedal when we entered the grasslands. So if this happened alongside modern day Sasquatch, this also makes sense that their bipedal habit, their bipedal uh, morphology correlates to the more Africa-like prehistoric North America. As well as, for instance, like their idea of like being large hunters, 
People say they hunt deer, things like that, elk. That would also make sense according to prehistory because with uh, having a lack of predators at the end of the Pleistocene and Pliocene, we had short faced predators go extinct. We had Smilodon go extinct. We had uh, Homotherium, uh, Xenosmilus, all these large prehistoric species go extinct. Well, when you have a niche and you have an animal that can fill that niche, they usually do it. So what if these Sasquatch kind of fill in this niche of a large predator while also being omnivorous and adaptable to whatever environment they live in? So like we have like the modern day Ursus Octos, you have uh, you have the grizzly bear and you have the black bear. Also you have Sasquatch and they don't compete for the same thing. They go after different resources because yeah. if you have the same animal going after the same resources, they will compete themselves to extinction. We know that with ecology. We know that with biology. So I believe Sasquatch go after different resources at different times. It's called something called niche differentiation. Like how animals, like, okay, maybe one season they go after deer, the next season they go after elk. And then the next season, bears go after elk and then the deer. They kind of share the same niche while not competing with each other. It's like you're living with a roommate and you say, okay, no, these are my groceries and these are your groceries. We share them and we don't eat each other's. It's kind of like the same idea. So I believe these Sasquatch evolved to have that uh, kind of environmental processes with these modern-day species like grizzly bears and black bears because these animals lived back in prehistory as well. Yeah. Like People don't realize grizzly bear, black bear, white-tailed deer, they would have walked right alongside woolly mammoths and Columbia mammoths and saber-toothed cats. They're not a modern species, exactly. They have been here for millions of years already. Yes, exactly. And and with, you know, some change with some modification, depending on range, things like that, where they are living, the ecology that they're in. But all in all, fairly well unchanged, uh, much like the platypus that I had on screen a while ago. Like yes. the the platypus is probably one of the most specialized mammals you could think of in the in the history of mammals. Yes. You know, like so much so that platypi lay eggs. Like yeah. and, and not only that, they're venomous. Yeah. So it's like when people discuss like the horseshoe crab, that thing hasn't evolved for the past three hundred million years because it didn't need to. Yeah, it found a niche. Okay, I I'm good here. Why change? Yeah, that's yeah, why it's, it's more I effort always, to change, and there's much more likelihood that the species will not continue if we yeah. change. That's why, like, I always get the argument with people that are like, oh, so if human if humans came from chimps, why are there still chimps? I always tell them, well, that tells me you don't know anything about evolution. You don't tell me anything about biology. First of all, we didn't come from chips. Second of all, we came from a common ancestor. Like, chips found a niche, and they were yeah. doing okay. It's like, if you're, it's the idea of like, okay, you're laying in bed, you have the blankets on you, you feel comfortable. Why get up? You're comfortable. Why change? Unless you have to. Oh, I'm hungry. I'll get up and go get food. I'll change yeah. the environment I'm in. Even if I'm comfortable. No, and, and you go get food. And granted, you know, uh, the one thing that I love, Ryan, uh, is that you continually use the word hypothesis. Thank you so much for actually following scientific method and not calling everything a theory. Um, because even the quote theory of evolution 
is still full on hypothesis. Like when you look yeah. at the closest thing we know of to be our most recent ancestor, that is far from a complete skeleton. There's yeah. a lot of parts there. But that is far from it. Like you got a complete lower jaw, which means you've, you've got a pretty good idea of how it evolved to eat, what it evolved to eat. Okay. Um, but yeah, aside from that, uh, what we consider to be and teach as the theory of evolution is really still full on hypothesis. It is not theory. You yes, know, like, we, we are missing a lot of skeletons to call it theory because by calling yeah. it a theory it means that we have poked we have prodded we have experimented and we have repeated it yeah like there is a scientific process which i always find with cryptozoology kind of goes in the opposite direction it can. a lot of times when it when people like this take for instance oh i believe sasquatch is on my property and people go in there say okay i'm assuming there's sasquatch no you are going to find a confirmation bias automatically that's right, that's right. Yeah. So that's why you have to have a hypothesis at first. Okay, it could be Sasquatch, but it could be bears. It could be a hoaxer. It could be this, this, that, blah, blah, blah. You don't know. But you don't have a confirmation bias because that's not scientific. With science, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about finding what's correct. You can always be wrong in science. You can always be correct in science. But if your ego gets into place and you're like, no, I have to be right, then you're going to find confirmation bias and not look at the other side that's why like with cryptozoology i always bring up schrodinger's cat yes schrodinger the uh at uh the physicist he's like okay i'll put this cat in the box there's also poison in the box that cat could eat the poison or could not that cat's both alive and dead at the same time because i have not looked in the box i have not measured the cat i have not seen the cat if it's alive yeah so it's everything all at once well and uh so, like with cryptozoology, these cryptids have not been discovered, so they're everything all at once. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And uh, even even adding to that, the fact of be being willing to accept what is not, you know, yeah. that 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 comfort with that confirmation bias in many many communities and in many minds within the community, Ryan, also comes the want of confirmation. You yes. know, and, and when you, when you marry those two things, you end up with something that is not in the best vested interest of research, you know, yeah. um, because now when presented evidence to the contrary, you are fully willing to go, nah, um, instead of accepting it and moving on and continuing to try to prove the anomaly. If everything yeah. is com confirmation that's of an anomaly, that means it is no longer an anomaly. Yes. That, that means it's now commonplace, you see. Yeah. So, um, it, it loses that rank of, and, and that's what I've loved about, uh, the whole NASA coming into the foray of UFO UAP research is they are saying full on outright publicly, we have denied our charge as scientists. The charge of a scientist is to look into the unusual. It's to look at our job is to find out what that anomaly in our research is. When the anomaly yeah. pops up in our research, we're supposed to prove out the anomaly, you know? So you've got yeah, to no, figure no out what that anomaly is so that your actual research and data is not destroyed by anomaly.
Yes. Like it's uh, one thing I always tell people, the only way to make the unknown known is by research. You yeah. have to look at it. You have to research into it because if we don't, then we're ignoring the anomaly. We're ignoring the unknown, and that's the only way to make scientific discoveries. The only way you discover what's over that hill is to climb that hill. The only way to discover what's in those for- in that forest is to go in the forest. And also not having a confirmation bias because that's when research becomes skewed. That's when the idea of belief kicks in. That's like, right. That's How right. many times someone asks me, oh, you believe in Bigfoot? I always hop her back with this. No, I don't believe in Bigfoot. It's about knowing the species exists and being proving it through scientific data. So I don't believe Sasquatch exists. I don't 100% know it exists because I have not seen one. That's right. So I can let's say 99.9% sure it exists, but it's still that 0.1% that it, it possibly doesn't. And it's about knowing and not that idea of belief because that's like the idea of like science versus religion. You have the knowing, then you have the belief sets. And with me, I'm like, okay, I want to know. I want to find the data. I want to find the evidence and not just, oh, I think Bigfoot exists. I believe it exists. I believe it exists. But if you're not trying to prove that it exists, then it's all belief. It's all ideas it's not truly proving a species exists and this works with every cryptid dogman thunderbirds lake monsters chupacabra goat man all these other unknown pri- all these other n- unknown primates seen around the world too like the yaoi yeti yeah Aaron, all these other species a lot of wise but unknown unknown primates that's a funny thing and it's like yeah <laughs> it's like if we don't look for these creatures then how can we ever discover them and it's like, that's one, one thing with my research I try to bring into, like especially cryptids of the world, is bringing in cryptids you haven't heard about. The Morosi of, of Kenya, the Mingua of Africa, the uh, Yawawi of uh, uh, Australia. Because if people don't know these cryptids exist or even have an idea that they possibly once existed, the research form becomes zilch. Like the old generation of cryptozoology, of cryptozoologists that studied them is going to be gone and then the younger generation, all they know is, oh, Bigfoot Dogman. That's it. That's all they study. And then all these other unknown species seen around the world being become ignored, and then the research isn't done there. And soon enough, like, that's one thing I always talk about cryptozoology, is a lot of times cryptids are probably cryptids because they're already on the endangered species list. They should be, at least. But yet we haven't, We if we ignore that species, it might become extinct and never, ever be discovered by science. How many species go extinct without us ever knowing they ever existed in the first place? That was quite literally part of my conversation with not only Chester Moore about a month ago about natural conservation and nature conservation and why we need to do it if you're into cryptozoology. Um, Because if... If you're into cryptids and you truly, because I'm like you, Ryan, we've had this conversation like over barbecue, man. Um, yes. I, I fully, fully am of the mind that a large hominid creature dwells the forests of North America. The only way to preserve said creature is to preserve where it lives. Yes. And if not, much like I said with Lyle Blackburn last week, we will end up in a situation like we are where cougars are in neighborhoods, coyotes are yeah. in neighborhoods. You want you want Bigfoot roving through the dumpster in your apartment complex? Because he will be. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or but we might once we, might we start encroaching. Upon, or we might become upon the existence that oh, no one's had a Bigfoot sighting in the past ten years. Oh, we just got we discovered a giant human like skull in the woods. Oh, Bigfoot did did exist. Yeah. That's yeah. why literally at the end of my book, in my conclusion of Sasquatch prehistory, I say this is why we need to discover the species because if we don't, it will become just like all the other animals I reference in this book, extinct. That's right. That's right. No, and it, 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 is, it is hugely, hugely important for us to realize that the one thing we can do is conservation of an area. You know, it may be, once again, it might be another generation before we come across the, the DNA evidence of this large hominid before we before we actually come across this large hominid in a way of collecting the species or protecting the species but unless we are forward looking like our mutual friend Craig Woolhart or Craig Woolheater and and actively create a conservation concept for your for our localized areas it won't be there in a generation, yes. that land won't be there in a generation for them to roam in, for them to breed in, for them to dwell. Yeah. Like there's kind of a project I've always wanted to do with like multiple cryptozoologists. Like, okay, Sasquatch the discovery. What's the next step? We discovered a species. Yeah. What do we do from there? Like, what's the next steps on conservation? What's the next steps on discovering what the species is? Yeah. Like, for instance, if we take DNA samples and I'm not the I'm not in a personal camp that it's a human species, but if it's proven to be a human species, that's a lot of big steps we would have to take. Do these creatures become human? Are they now do they have have now have human rights? Yeah. And there's a lot of things that come to this conversation that if you ask the question it adds five different questions and then five more questions, then twenty more questions, and you're like, huh, we don't have the answers yet, but we can't speculate on it. Like that's why I always tell I always say people, cryptozoology is yes the unstudied uh, study of unknown species. It's also the science of speculation. That's like, right. Like this whole book is all speculation. This is all hypothesis. It's a, it's like it hasn't been tested. This animal has not been proven yet to exist. So it's good all science, just ideas. Good science is speculation, Ryan. Good yes. science is sitting down, having a conversation with somebody about a hypothesis of and, and how do we test this hypothesis? Because even how you're testing the hypothesis is a hypothesis because you don't know if what you're hypothesizing is true. Yes. Like, you for know, instance, like this, is, this uh, is the realm of quantum physics. This is the realm of quantum mechanics. This is how we learn to understand the universe is, yes, is like, through speculation. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, look at like. Albert Einstein, he would have his quote-unquote thought experiments. Yeah. He would say, how would it feel if I was a particle of light going to speed of light? How would I feel? What would I see? What would I do? That's all speculation in your head. But yet, he had the idea to question yeah. that in the first place. Or he would say, okay, if I was a star, how would that be? How would my creation start? How would – and all this. So – we even quant like quantum physics is a lot of speculation and but you have to ask those questions in the first place. And like I reference a lot of times uh the the father of cryptozoology, Bernard Hoofmans. If you read his first book on the track of unknown species, there's more question marks in that book than periods. 
because he wants to ask those questions. He states he doesn't know the answers. He states he possibly might know some, but it's for like the next generation of cryptozoologists and the other readers to try to get those answers themselves. That's why, like, with my book, uh, Sasquatch Prehistory of a Living Legend, I say I might be wrong on this. I could be completely wrong on this. But it's up to other people to read it and say, okay, I might take this part, I might take this part, I might add this, I might take this, and add to hypothesis. Because that's how science happens. That's how communication and community happens. It's not by saying, oh, yeah, you are correct 100%. Yes, I agree with you. No nitpick nitpick that's why i always say when people like oh i want to read your book and i'll give you a review heck yes i love constructive criticism if you if you see something that you say oh no that's not scientific tell me so i can learn from that because we need to learn from each other in this community or we will die out and we will become what that's no longer science that's a cult now yes if you believe one perspective no that's why you need to look at all the different ones and take pieces from each one to add to that puzzle. Like what Jason McLean says, you need to look at all the pieces in order to make that puzzle. Yeah, no, no. Without, without knowing about all the trees, you can't understand the forest. And there's no way that you'll see both of them at the same time, which with these situations and with these, with this type of research, you have to be a forest and trees person you have to be willing to add pieces add a piece of datum to your data set and have it grow and evolve the data the way the data set does and look at it from a scientific point of view without being emotionally invested you know because yeah i mean once once you have that emotional investment in it uh the problem is you might not be willing to let it go Yes. And and you've got to be willing in science to put things in the bin, you know, or at least set them aside and go, okay, we'll consider the possibilities of this at another time. But right now we know that's not what's on the path of what we're doing. Yes. Like, for instance, you've been there. I've had friends of mine say, oh, you're an aper? You believe Bigfoot's uh, some type of giant ape? Oh, you're wrong. Uh, You've been there when people said that to me. And I'm like, no, I I don't mind that because... All that is is a different perspective. And know what? I'm willing to kind of like, okay, you're willing to kind of test me on my own science? I'm willing to test you on your own science and belief. Because if we don't do that, then why have them in the first place? Why have your beliefs and your science if you're not going to be challenged? That's why, like, with a lot of academics and a lot of academia, they don't get – they're not challenged, so they automatically always assume they're right. And yeah. that's not always the truth. Just because you're not challenged doesn't mean you're always right. Well, it's it's far from it. It's far from it. And the fact is, yeah. you know, uh, science changes regularly. On my on my shelf over here, I I have the astronomy textbook that I made a I made a hundred and one for the semester in astronomy. I love astronomy. Um, I don't know about the astronomy textbooks where you teach, Ryan. But I'm pretty sure Pluto isn't a planet anymore. Yes. Or even, Science changes. Or even it fully changes like how, its mind. How, like, for instance, astrology. Astrology is seen as like a crackpot science now. But that's where astronomy kind of started. And the idea is that psychology started off with us literally feeling human brains like, oh, 
oh, there's different there's different parts. Oh, this part must yeah. this load must deal with how you feel. This must be how you feel. Yeah, and for knowledge. That was, and that's you got, very much you got three bumps over animal. here. You must be wise. Yeah. Or how people thought they're like, you sneeze, oh you're letting demons out of you. No, we we kind of started with like very like unscientific feelings and unscientific thoughts and evolved from there. That's the thing with like how animals evolve, ideas evolve as well. Yeah. How we have to change according to the time. Like I've looked at, for instance, the history of Sasquatch. Back in the day, like you look at the the four horsemen of cryptos of like a uh, uh, Bigfoot. This is a large ape that exists in the woods. And then you look at modern day, a lot of lot modern day Sasquatchers. Oh, this could be a possible ghost. It could be a spirit. This could be alien. But you still kind of have that basis of it's a it's an ape. But yeah. that has changed according to how society has changed and how the paranormal field has changed, our perspectives on things. So I like that to a, to an extent because ideas should change. They should not stay stagnant because right. like new discoveries aren't going to be made that way if we stay stagnant with our belief sense. We have to change according to the time, according to the data that we are collecting. That's why sometimes to an extent when people would come to me like, oh, Bigfoot's a ghost. Okay, prove to me. Because yeah. I have data to – that doesn't prove, but highly indicates this is a large unknown ape that's living in the woods. Yeah. Do you have data that helps prove your theory? Well, no, it's just what I feel. Well, feeling uh, does not overcome data. Science yeah. does not overcome, oh I, oh, I had a feeling in the back of my head, or I had a feeling on the back of my neck. No. Science doesn't work like that. <laughs> that's why I try Your to think cold, heartless science. approach will serve you well, Ryan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It has been. That's why, like, with me, I'm, I'm like, science has been proven. We yeah. know that. Yes, science changes because everyone's like, well, like, look at human evolution. How do you know if it's real if it changes? Yes, science changes. Yeah, it changes uh, regularly. Uh, Feel- one discovery can change everything. Look at Lucy. Look at Denisovans. Look at Neanderthals. Yeah. Yes, one discovery can change our whole perspective on it. It doesn't mean everything before it is wrong. No, no, it just changes. It evolves according to the time and discoveries made. That's right. That's right. I mean, as 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 far as we knew, I mean, until until the 1920s, we had we had uh, black eye treatments by barbers. You know, like hop on in after a bar fight, get your eye leached, and get rid yeah. of your black eye. You know, like you. You aren't finding that regular practice anymore. Yes, they do use leeches in surgery here and there. Um, yes, uh, but uh, you know, yeah, we we don't we don't consider the four humors anymore, and yeah. and how they make us sick. Um, but we know phlegm's a thing. Yeah, and and what like, causes it now? You know, so like uh, like would like disease? How we thought. The idea of noxious air, of yeah. bad air, yeah. that became germ theory. So something that doesn't seem scientific can actually truly turn into a science after a while. 100%. So a giant ape living in the woods, that doesn't sound scientific. But with enough research and enough science and true data behind it, it becomes science. Well, and there are there are numerous slow-breeding mammals out there. You know, a lot of people, Ryan, are like, oh, you know, if they've been around this long, there'd be a lot more of them. Well, you know, if pandas have been around this long, you'd think there'd be a lot more of them. They are a slow breeding species. 
And not every not every male takes a mate in panda world, you know, but they still exist, even though they're in very small numbers. Um, And they were not they were not discovered, discovered until, you know, pretty recent history. Yes, and like even how you how you stated earlier, how the timeline of discovery, I like to say, call it sometimes, for hundreds of years before the mountain gorilla was discovered, it was talked about by the natives and by colonists yeah. and things like that. Hundreds of years before it was discovered, chimpanzee, chimpanzees too, even in modern day, the billy ape, uh, which is. Truly, a not really a chimp subspecies, but it's a much larger form of chimp. Was talked about for hundreds of years. The local name for them was the lion killers or the kulakamba, which is believed to be a mix of like gorilla and chimp. But nowadays, we now know them as a chimp. But you have that like timeline of discovery of when it's first referenced to when it's discovered, and with most species, especially large primates. Hundreds of years elapse in that. And with Sasquatch, how long has Sasquatch been in the like vernacular and been in like the yeah. cultural zeitgeist? Yeah. Only maybe about a hundred years or less. So when we, we talk about like why haven't we discovered one yet? Well, on the timeline of discovery, we haven't even gotten closer to discovery yet. Yeah. We are still in the research stage. And once we have discovered it, I believe it will happen one day, but probably not any day soon because how species work, especially unknown, large, unknown species, we haven't gotten to that stage yet. Yeah. There's certain stages of discovery we have not met yet. Sure, sure. And, and you know, I think a lot of that also has to do with um, not just scientific, but human interest. Because, I mean, of course, you get into in the book uh, some of the some of the lore of Sasquatch, things like that. And the fact that there are stories of Sasquatch like creatures across the globe throughout humanity. You know, and and the thing is, though, most of those cultures accepted it. It wasn't it wasn't an anomaly. It was something to be left alone and and something to be respected, you know, um, as opposed to uh, those of us in the West who are curious pokers and prodders and want to know and know why, you know, the, the native cultures did not need or want to know why. Yes, they know it exists and they coexisted. That's why I bring up yeah. like how the Native Americans existed very much uh, akin to the land. They lived off the land. That's how Sasquatch lived. Yeah, that's why most likely when when culture uh, when like European cultures entered North America, that would push the Sasquatch to become even more secretive because we come in, we sure. build houses, build roads, build highways, destroy the woods. The Native Americans didn't do that. So when Sasquatch see yeah. that, they yeah. probably get pushed out because they see that destruction of their environment and not like as some guardian of the woods, but that's a large, un, that's a large primate species that knows what it needs to eat and knows where it needs to live, sees that and is like, oh, I don't want to live here. Let me go up in the mountain. Yeah, they're busy clear cutting the woods, so I'm probably not going to be able to find the food that I need here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like some, like, how they call it, the guardian of the woods or, like, the big man of the woods that protects the forest. I don't really see it as that, but as a large predator, it does have a, a very important niche. It's probably a keystone species in a lot of environments, like how the, the wolves are a keystone species in Yellowstone. But 
it's literally a cryptozoological keystone species. Yeah. We can only speculate on its environmental and eco- ecological effects right now, but the speculation can't prove that, okay, this is probably a very important species to other species, and its extinction will probably not lead to an extinction of other species, but would lead to probably a large population decline. Or at least to a disruption of of local microfauna, things like that. You know? Yes. Yeah, because uh, even even a disturbance in uh, what plants are grazed on, things like that, utterly changes a microclimate, utterly changes a localized area, and what what other fauna come around. You know, yes. if 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 suddenly if suddenly all the patches of blackberries are gone, um, you're going to have a lot of critters that ain't coming around anymore that once did. You know, yes. um, so those things. And once again, that comes down to conservation. It's it's yes. interesting how uh, these two communities have not come together more. Uh, just yeah, while was- while we were on air last week, I noticed that uh, Katie Elizabeth, hey out there, Katie, if you're listening, um, came on and was like, I don't know why more festivals and more more community events, you know, that are out there in the para community, that are out there in the cryptid community, are not teaming up with local conservation and like donating part of the income to local woods conservation things like that i i regularly say on the show as far as citizen science goes if you're out there sasquatching and you have trail cameras contact your local university that does wildlife research give them pictures you you're out there doing research that they can't afford to do yes and it's like that kind of idea of like cryptozoological conservation we should of course can conservate the known species but what about the unknown as well? Yeah. What about what about the animals that haven't been discovered and may never be discovered because of human error, because of how the environment is being declined? Like, how would how would we feel as a species if we discovered our closest living species died out before we could ever discover it? Because most likely, if Sasquatch is a living, breeding species, it is probably our closest living relative. Yep. How would we feel as a just existentially that oh our closest living relative died out with us ever discovering it? Oh, that must make us feel really bad, probably. So we gotta feel that kind of that conservationist aspect of it. Like, uh, for instance, there's a researcher in this in this field that I really look up to, uh, Emily Fleur of the Forest Floor. She uses Jane Goodall as a example, like. We kind of have to be the next, like that Jane Goodall, Goodall of cryptozoology of Sasquatch and go out and discover these species and try to discover them to help protect the species and make sure they don't disappear on us. Well, well, and that's just it, you know, not just, not just conserving the world for the next generation, but making sure that it is there for the continuance of species that has not been discovered. Uh, yes. You know, we we discover on average about 10,000 new species a year, everything from microorganisms to, you know, phytoplanktons to large creatures um, and even even things like the the recent uh, birds that were once extinct that came back to New Zealand. Yes. That was that was pretty wild just to see that uh, the 
this bird that was once thought extinct came back. Even even the ivory wood build woodpecker yeah. is now oh, yeah. now back. The phenomenon of Lazarus taxon yeah. species yeah. believed to be extinct but proved to exist. Of course, probably the most famous example with any cryptozoologist is a coelacanth. Sure. A, a species of fish that was supposed to go extinct 65 million years ago was caught in the, off the coast of the Indian Ocean. And that's only one example. We have multiple example, examples of species we thought existed, we thought died out, but actually are extant into the modern day. And when we make these discoveries, it really helps prove the idea of cryptozoology, the idea that, no, there is still unknown out there. Yeah. And there is probably species that we believe extinct that are not extinct. Maybe not fantastical species like mammoths and saber-toothed cats and things like that, because, of course, there's stories of mammoths living in the Arctic, but sure. we have to look at the plausibility, not just the possibility. That's right. That's also a thing with science. That's what right. is the likelihood of this happening? Not just... Oh, it could happen. Absolutely. No, not could it, but would it also happen? What's the plausibility, not just possibility? Yeah. Man, I could talk with you for days about this kind of stuff. We need to just get together one afternoon, but yes. you're right down the road. Um, <laughs> let everybody know, because I know, I know you've got another interview to do today, things like that. Uh, but let everybody know where they can go, of course, other than the Curious Realm store to get the new book. Sasquatch, a prehistory of a living legend. Of course. Well, you can always find it on Amazon. I saw you putting it on the screen multiple times. Go and go there, guys. Sasquatch, a prehistory of a living legend by Ryan Anthony Edwards, if you find me there. Also, pretty soon later this week, Eerie Lights Publishing uh, by David Weatherly will also have the book on their website as well. It will be linked there as well. Once that link is live, I will send it out to Chris here, and you guys can also see it from there. Go support Eerie Lights because I wouldn't be here without them. And hopefully, maybe by the end of the year, I might have a new release on there as well. When that happens, I'll also let you guys know about this. That is awesome to find out, man. I'm glad to hear that you are so busy with your research, so busy with all of your work. Because once again, you are one of my favorite conversations to have on here. Um, There is Eerie Lights Publishing right there, folks. So you can find... His work there, you can find so many others. You can find the work of the amazing David Weatherly. Once again, Ryan, thank you for making the time. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. I cannot wait to see where things go from here, bud. Uh, of course. Hold the line real quick while we close things out with the audience, all right? Of course. While you are online checking out everything from Ryan Edwards, folks, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. CuriousRealm.com is where you can go to find all the episodes. That's where you can go to find our local appearances calendar. We'll have so many localized appearances across the country, uh, even one internationally on the 25th anniversary International Remote Viewing Association cruise. Uh, join us on that cruise, folks. It's going to be super fun. Um, all kinds of places for you to like, follow, subscribe. Of course, make sure to, if you have a Roku device, to make your way on over to the channel guide and download the all-new Curious Realm Roku app where you can get not only all the episodes all of the content, but that is also where you can listen to all of the meditation music that we create. All that kind of stuff. So uh, until next time, everybody, thank you so much. It is your open hearts, your open minds that make this world what it is and make the conversation what it is. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and remember, stay curious. We'll talk to you soon.
Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Curious Realm. Stay tuned for more guests, forbidden topics, and hidden truths. Follow us on social media by searching Curious Realm. To download the official Curious Realm app and view the Knowledge Vault, or become a sponsor of Curious Realm, visit our website at CuriousRealm.com. Curious Realm is available on your favorite podcast and video services, as well as KPNL Radio, APR TV, and the Curious Realm app for Roku devices. Curious Realm is a proud member of the Ground Zero Media and Aftermath Media family of podcasts. For more great shows and members-only content, visit groundzeromedia.org and aftermathmedia.com today. Thanks for listening. Stay curious. And remember, the other side is always watching.